What's up, everybody? We are live here on Locked On Sooners. Josh Helmer is going to be joining me here momentarily. We're going to talk transfer portal. We're going to talk recruiting. Early signing period is going to kick off on Wednesday. So we are winding down on the 2023 recruiting class. Oklahoma is making some moves in the 2024 cycle as well. We'll start talking a little bit about Florida State during the live stream. We'll take your questions. We'll respond to some of your comments, your thoughts, your takes uh, as the Oklahoma Sooners start getting ready for the Cheez-It Bowl wind down the 2023 recruiting class and try to build uh, through the transfer portal in to get ready for a 2023 season. We hope will be a bounce back year on today's episode of locked on Sooners. You are locked on Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Again, this is one of our favorite things we do every single week is just to be here and interact with you all uh, over in the chat, over the live stream. Chad, appreciate you being on, being with us so far. Uh, Josh is going to be here. He's running a little bit behind, but we wanted to get this kicked off uh, before he got back from. He's out seeing the light, so, you know enjoying the holiday season the holiday spirit it's christmas time it's flipmas time we're seeing still a lot of positive vibes on the peyton bowen situation uh we're seeing you know positive vibes on Cecilia Kana. uh the transfer portal is where i want to get started first and we're going to bring in our guy josh helmer here uh just joining with us um after seeing the lights josh man what's up man how's your evening been it's been great. It's been great. I've had a, a tremendous evening. Glad to be with you. Glad to be with everybody here on Locked On Sooners. It feels like an appropriate time for me, right? I'm feeling festive. I'm in the season. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, and happy holidays to, to those out there that aren't, you know, you know, I don't know, Christmas people, right? So happy holidays to everyone. It is, uh, it is an exciting week. We're still waiting. Yes, we're still waiting. I see out there. Thank you, Logan, by the way. Uh, I, I do try to be a family man when I can. But as Suter Cowboy says, we're still waiting on Mr. Peyton Bowen and Akana. Though, feels like this week's going to be a good one. Yeah, it does feel like it. The, the place I want to start, though, tonight is the place where I feel like things aren't necessarily going super well for the Oklahoma Sooners. And that's in the transfer portal market as far as wide receiver is concerned, you know, Braylon Presley committed to Tulsa. Sounds like he was wanting to play running back. So they're getting an opportunity or giving him an opportunity to do that there. And then um, singer Dorian singer is going to USC uh, to play with the Trojans. And you're like, okay, that's, that's going to be an interesting one. They got Jordan Addison last year, adding Dorian singer, the guy that led the pac 12 in receiving this season. So it creates a little bit of an interesting dynamic. It leaves you kind of looking at Trey Harris, looking at the um, the Idaho State kid uh, that that is kind of escaping my mind right now. And so wide receiver is a place where you're really looking to to provide a, a solid floor, and maybe you you really need Marvin Mims to come back if you're not able to land Trey Harris, who is kind of the I would say I don't want to say the big fish, but kind of the the guy that you almost need to land in the portal, which there seems to be a little bit of buzz on that. If you don't land him, you definitely need Marvin Mims to come back. But even if Marvin Mims does come back, I feel like you still need 
a guy like Trey Harris to kind of take some of the pressure off Marvin Mims going into 2023. Am I off base on that? No, Oklahoma, it feels like it feels like Singer. I mean, look, just based off what Parker Thune and some other folks have said out there, feels like potentially that's a le- legitimately sizable loss for Oklahoma in terms of the transfer portal wars here uh, between Oklahoma and USC and just kind of everybody nationally. That was someone that it sounds like this staff and really a lot of people, obviously USC, zeroed in, targeted in on. And so, I mean, to me, that's a substantial loss for Oklahoma. I don't want to be all gloom and doom, but look, if we're going to celebrate some of the positive things, like we think, you know, the flip for Bowen and Akana is happening, then I think we got to be real and we got to be fair and we got to be honest about maybe what doesn't go Oklahoma's way uh, along the way here. And so I do, man, I think it's imperative that they add a couple of skill guys right here, right now. We'll see about Marvin Mims. There's been, again, tea leaves that it's going to be positive for Marvin Mims, thinking about maybe coming back. But, again, that's kind of one of those for me, John. It's like I'll believe it when I see it. I know that the NFL draft grade for a Marvin Mims, I mean, there's some folks out there that think fifth, sixth, seventh round for, you know, Marvin Mims, that he's plummeted all the way down to that range. You know, I could still see him third, fourth type of – type round draft pick for Marvin Mims. So all of which is to say, I definitely think he's getting drafted if he chooses to go And timeline wise, it would make sense that Marvin Mims kind of looks at it and says, okay, yeah, it was, you know, to some degree, a disappointing season for me, but how much better am I going to play than I've kind of played already in college right now? You're just kind of at that part for, and I don't get me twisted. I think that Marvin Mims, if he came back, John could really, really enhance his stock. It just makes me worry a little bit that you're just far enough along to where he's thinking about it. Like, eh, am I really going to enhance it that much? I know that I'm, I'm kind of hearing a little bit from all sides about I, I would get drafted right here, or I would enhance my stock if I came back. So bottom line is this <laughs> long winded way to say, yes, I'd like to see them get a Trey Harris. I'd like to see them, you know, add a couple of these wide receivers that are proven commodities out of the transfer portal. I know that again, I've broken record. I've said this about, J.J. Hester and others that it didn't quite materialize this past season. And really that's across the board in some transfer portal spots, John. But to me, that doesn't deter you from saying, okay, we still need wide receiver help. We need it now. Let's go get a couple. Yeah, I think I think you're right on on that is that. Marvin Mims, I mean, he had the most productive season he's had as a Sooner. I mean. He had over a thousand yards receiving, had some big time performances, had more 100 yard games, had multiple touchdown games. It was a really good season, had some drops that took points off the board, could have been an even bigger season for him. And so I still am of the mind that he's a, at least a fourth round pick at worst. Like that's his floor. Now wide receiver is arguably the, the deepest position in the draft almost every single year. You, he, you know, if you follow draft coverage like I have, having covered the Dallas Cowboys in previous years, like every season, it seems like wide receiver is the one that's constantly being attributed as the deepest uh, position group. And so I, I do think that even if Marvin Mims comes back, I want to still add a proven commodity to take a little bit of the pressure off of him, take it off of Jaleel Farouk a little bit. Now, if Jaleel Farouk takes a step, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, if they take a step, then by all means, you'll be in good shape it's just hard for me to to sit here and be like, feel really comfortable and confident. Now Mims is back 
And you want to tell me that, okay, you're going to rely on your young guys to step up and step into some, some big time situations by all means. If Mims isn't back, then you definitely need to add somebody with some skins on the wall uh, at the wide receiver position. Uh, people are talking about, um, you know, Hank, he says, Oh, you'll be busy in the second portal opening when the bowl games are over. Probably at what point though, are some of the, the better players off the board? You know, are, are guys going to sit around and wait for the bowl games to finish up and then you know, make their move? Now, if they're looking to go to a place like the Alabama or you know, Georgia, someone that's in the college football playoff, maybe they're going to have to wait until after that's done to really pursue that opportunity. Does Oklahoma want to really wait on that? I think they need to kind of make their moves now while kind of the, the premier other premier teams are kind of tied up getting ready for the playoff. That's, that's my mind. I, I think that's, that's where I really want to see them go. Denton asks, um, do you think OU is quietly recruiting interior defensive line guys that they don't want other schools to know about in the transfer portal? That seems to be something that's kind of of the mind of the collective OU mind right now is that Oklahoma is really targeting a bunch of players that they're not talking about yet, Josh. Yeah. It'd be nice. Wouldn't it to find a couple of, surprises in your your christmas stockings this year a couple of couple of little bonus gifts that santa snuck in there this holiday season that uh obviously oklahoma's being a little bit coy on in terms of how they're going about uh recruiting this thing out of the transfer portal that would lead me to believe that probably it's uh you know not a blue chip type name if you will right that it's somebody that maybe is from a little bit smaller like group of five uh, school right I mean I think generally speaking and I don't have just you know a list in front of me to rattle names off but you know generally speaking if you're talking about power five blue chip type defensive tackles or defensive linemen that have entered the portal I think that a lot of people pretty well know maybe who those names are. I don't think you're I don't think you're sneaking any past uh, the last line of defense right if uh, if it's you know, a name that's a blue chip type name. So there is probably a little bit of that going on, but you know, I, I sort of, I sort of agree with uh, one of the, one of the folks right here that it sounds like a little bit of a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, how much of that can you really do? I think the coaching staff is probably trying to do that, but uh, that probably, I, I don't know how high of an in-demand name are we talking about? I don't know. I'm not, I might not throw a whole lot of uh, credence behind what John Doe says earlier in the chat. He wanted to ask us about the 2019 uh, OU LSU game. So he might, he might be here with a little bit of an agenda himself, John. I, I might see you. I might see you, but Hey, who knows? Like they've already got an interior defensive line guy that they com- they got committed. Jacob Lacey out of Notre Dame. That's a, I think that's a big transfer acquisition. Didn't have a hugely productive career as far as sacks go, tackles for loss. Only played in a few games this season, but he was a highly regarded player going to Notre Dame, and he's more of the interior take-up space kind of a guy. If you can get him to get three, four sacks in a season, that's huge, but really what you're bringing him here for is run defense. So I I think that is a good ad for the Oklahoma Sooners. We're going to continue to talk transfer portal. We're going to continue to answer your questions. We'll talk some recruiting. I know you all want to hear our thoughts on Micah T's coming up as well. Yeah, Jay Lacey might just be a depth, just a guy depth piece, but you never know. Um, 
we'll talk recruiting. We'll talk more about a lot of this. We'll answer your questions. But first, we're going to talk about our friends over at LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the number one place to get new hires, post your jobs. You can do that over at LinkedIn.com. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. All you got to do is go to LinkedIn Jobs, add your job in the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so there's several more thoughts out there on kind of the transfer portal stuff. Yes, Lacey, he's not a star player, but how many star interior defensive line players are you going to find in the transfer portal? Let's be realistic on that because either those guys are going to the NFL or they're depth pieces. So it's tough to find ready-made starters in the portal especially along the interior defensive line. It is. I mean, it's a premium position, right? Everybody's looking for that game record defensive tackle type. And there's there's only so many that come out in every single class, right? The four or five star, well, the NFL defensive tackle, right? That's That's what we're talking about. And a lot of those guys are winding up at places like, I don't know, Alabama and Georgia, and maybe a couple here and there at your your Ohio State of the world. So, I mean, it's uh, something we've talked about so much. It's, you know, to me, it's the number one missing ingredient for Oklahoma. We can sit here and we can talk about skill guys. And I do think, you know, look, I, I think it's important that Oklahoma restocks at wide receiver. I would entertain the idea that the last couple of seasons have been downer years for Oklahoma across the board, just collectively at wide receiver, right? And to win national championships, it's been proven. Like LSU in, in 19, that I know that was sort of maybe mentioned in jest about the uh, the end of the 2019 season with the Peach Bowl versus LSU. That would be kind of the one shining example maybe. And I guess maybe Alabama the year after that. But generally, generally speaking, it's not the – four NFL wide receivers, John, that are winning national championships, right? It's the teams that have, you know, one NFL wide receiver like Oklahoma has had in the past. And, you know, they had two, right? Had C.D. Lamb, had Hollywood Brown. You had the weapons to go win a national championship offensively. Oklahoma didn't have the horses up front defensively and particularly at defensive tackle. I don't know if I'm quite ready to say that, you know, look, if – if Brent Venables from his first stint here and from getting away and from probably everybody that he talked to John, when making the decision to yes, leave Clemson, come back to Oklahoma, make this my first head coaching job, right? If he didn't know what he was getting into in terms of trying to flip the narrative defensively for Oklahoma, if Todd Bates didn't know that there were maybe some challenges initially at getting the five-star defensive tackle, to Oklahoma, I mean, 
Look, that's been Oklahoma's reality for a decade plus now. That This is not new, this conversation we're happen, having about why can't they get Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy, in Norman? Oh, is it name, image, likeness? Okay, well, that portion maybe is different, right? But just the conversation of why are they not getting Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy here? Why is Hicks not signing with Oklahoma? Yes, that's the player that Oklahoma has to find a way to get. And there's only so many of those guys, John. It's tough to get that player. 100%. Everybody wants that player because the quickest way to the quarterback is interior defensive line pressure. And that's what Clemson's done really well at. That's what Alabama's done really well at. Uh, Ohio State, they're more edge guys, but they've had guys that were able to disrupt the the passing game by creating interior pressure consistently. Um, so I feel like Oklahoma, yeah, that's, that's going to be a key for them. If they really want to get to that stage where they're competing um, at the national level, they, they've got to find that David Hicks, that guy that's not only just a good you know, penetrator or a good scheme fit, but a guy that is a scheme fit for everybody. And it's a guy that everybody wants, like somebody that's got all the offers. You know what I mean? The David Hicks, like if they can find a way, it's becoming, it feels like it's becoming a slim chance at this point. If they can find a way to get David Hicks to Norman, that would be absolutely huge. I think it's probably more likely that, that first big defensive tackle guy is going to come in the 2024 class with David Stone. But yeah, it's 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 the one piece that's kind of not I say one piece, it's the biggest piece that's been missing. Yeah, you've had good players in Neville Gallimore, you've had good players in you know Perrion Winfrey and, and Jalen Redmond, but they're not transcendent, can take over a game type players like Brian Breesey. Or even go back to Brent Venable's first time here with Gerald McCoy and Tommy Harris. Like they really haven't had those transcendent top 10, top 15 type NFL defensive tackles in Norman since Venable's left. Now, I fully believe they're going to get that. They're going to find those guys. Derek LeBlanc might just be one of those. He's a four star player coming. I'm still a big fan of Ashton Sanders. Again, three-star guy. I think he's just under-recruited. I love his game. I love what he brings to the table. 300-pound dude in high school with a lot of athleticism. Who knows what that guy could be? And so I, I think there's it, it's a huge piece of the puzzle that they got to figure out. I still believe in Todd Bates' ability to make that happen. I still believe that Brent Venables is going to be able to show the track record of guys like Christian Wilkins that played in his defense and then went on to the NFL. Dexter Lawrence that played in his defense at Clemson and went on to the NFL. Tommy Harris, Gerald McCoy, like all these elite defensive tackles. Brian Breesey. I mean, Brian Breesey was a, a Todd Bates, Brent Venables recruit. He stayed at Clemson, but he's, he's a Brent Venables, Todd Bates recruit. Like he can claim that guy. Oklahoma's going to have a chance at finding those guys. They are, and my confidence has not been, you know, it's it's not waned or has not been completely shaken in either's ability to get that player to Oklahoma. Though, again, I think I said this after Hicks, uh, I think I said this after Hicks made the decision to commit to A&M instead of Oklahoma. John, there is just that little part of me and a little part of, I think, Sooner Nation where it's like, I got to see it though. I got to see it, right? I got to see it at, at Oklahoma and it's going to wind up to me. It has to be right. Because ultimately the, the NIL portion, right? Whatever uh, the Crimson and Cream collective and just whatever the whole portfolio or package from Oklahoma looks like, it can only go so far beyond it's got to be better than six and six. Right. And the defense has to, 
it is going to me tie back to yes call me call me captain obvious here but oklahoma needs to play better defense next season right i think it's going to be important for oklahoma to get those guys that we're talking about in the 24 class and in the 25 class at some point OU does have to to back it up with the results on the field but uh my confidence has not wavered that Venables and company they're going to do that and they're going to get those guys in Norman what do you think about this comment that Venables is going to trust his guys he doesn't believe in the portal or the new way of recruiting he's going to grow organically I feel like that was kind of the the idea when Venables first came to Oklahoma is that okay he's going to be like Dabo completely reject the portal just try to build through high school recruiting and probably some Juco recruiting as well but we saw in, in year one that Brent Venables was definitely willing to go into the portal, add depth, add talent to the team. They haven't been as aggressive. I feel like they've been aggressive in spots, right? Like they 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 got to Sean McCullough. They got Jacob Lacey. They were able to, to figure out a thing to bring back Austin Stogner. So a pretty strong start to the recruiting class. Things have kind of slowed down so far since the, you know, the Sean McCullough uh, commitment. And so I do wonder at times, and, and I think we talked about this on a show a couple weeks ago, like how active were they going to be in the transfer portal? Were they going to be as active as they were in 2022 when they added a seat and like a ton of dudes, but only a few of those guys really made impacts on the team. And so I think that's a, a very valid point that, you know, they're going to look to really stockpile the talent and the depth of this team through the recruiting classes because you're not hearing a whole lot of buzz about linebacker, right? Which I feel like most people would agree is a place that they could add a, a you know a veteran name to, right? You got Danny Stutzman, and then you got your 2022 signees, guys that people feel really good about. We just haven't seen enough of them to feel really confident about, right? And then you got your 2023 signees. So you're going to have a really young linebacker crew outside of Danny Stutzman. And Stutzman? To his credit, he was only a first-year starter this year. So he's technically still kind of a young player in his own right. So that's one position where I feel like, and, and even at safety, I feel like you can even look at safety and say, okay, they've got Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, who is was a roller coaster ride all year long. And then you're looking at Robert Spears Jennings. And then you're looking at your, your 2023 signees, which we think will include Peyton Bowen. We assume at this point with all the crystal balls and projections and stuff like that. So I feel like there's a lot of credence to this idea that maybe Venables is going to just continue to stockpile through the, the recruiting classes and then take his shots, like hit certain spots through the transfer portal where it makes sense to hit certain spots. I guess it kind of depends on what was meant by that comment. All best laid plans are subject to change. And Frankly, I think some of those best laid plans for Brent Venables and company have already been subject to change. I don't think Oklahoma, John, maybe they did, right? And Venables certainly was talking a little bit about name, image, and likeness when he first got off that uh, plane at Max Westheimer Airport. But he made it pretty clear that name, image, and likeness was not going to be a big piece of the puzzle at the University of Oklahoma. And not that he's sitting up there touting about how great uh, the Crimson and Cream Collective is, and you're not going to hear that from Brent Venables. But I think that just foundationally, the organization of Oklahoma, they've realized, oh, 
yeah, we're not going to be able to play by all these different rules that we thought we were going to be able to play by. And that applies, in my opinion, to the transfer portal too. If Brent Venables or Oklahoma thought that, yeah, mm, we'll, we'll get uh, we'll get one or two guys, we'll get one or, two, one or two guys out of the transfer portal every single year, man, that's just not college football anymore, right? It's just not the reality of, I think, how you could be successful. Though I've been pretty outspoken in this forum, John, that to me, the lifeblood of a program is always going to be through the recruiting class. It's always going to be through what happens on Wednesday through Friday of this week and the year after that. But that being said, you can't you, you can't just be one or the other, right? You have to supplement your signing classes and then replace pieces of your signing class. I think every single year now going forward, I don't buy into the theory that this is just uh, the end of the, the COVID fallout in terms of roster construction. I don't think it's all that much tied to the extra COVID year of eligibility. I think this is the new normal in college football. So, look, you're going to have to be able to do a great job, an elite job of both. And I think Oklahoma can do a little bit better job out of the transfer portal. It's good to get Stogner. Lacey, we'll see, right? That's a legitimate ad. But Oklahoma, some of these higher profile, like, I again, I said it right off the top. I think uh, the loss to USC at wide receiver, to me, that's a substantial miss for Oklahoma. If Oklahoma is going to win national championships, they need to win that battle. Yeah, they've got to be able to win some of those recruiting battles in the transfer portal. But you're not going to win them all either. So the the big one, they got Deshaun McCullough. Like that's a huge add on a defense that needs better talent. They need more productive players, guys with high upsides, high ceilings. Adding that guy, adding his little brother Day in the recruiting class, huge as well. If they ultimately sign, signing day is going to be right around the corner. Um, real quick, y'all, it's the holiday season. And I know it's, you know, New Year's Eve is going to be coming up and everybody's going to be out there wanting to party. But did you know that driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal? And if you drive while you're high, law enforcement can definitely tell. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. This is paid for by the NHTSA. So, Josh... The one question I thought was really interesting that came up was this one. And, and there's some folks, we haven't talked about Micah Tease, So let's start there. Micah Tease decommits from Arkansas, opening the door potentially for Oklahoma. But it seems like as we've talked with Parker and I continue to talk with him over the last couple of weeks, that ship has sailed. Micah Tease is not coming to Norman. And it looks like, from what people are saying, the guys that are in the know really on, on the recruiting trail, it's Texas A&M. Uh, I even saw, I think it was Rivals Nick uh, put in a, a Rivals future cast for Micah Tease to Texas A&M. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath for Micah Tease coming to Norman. Doesn't seem like it. And probably that's just because there was too much along the way. You know, if you tell somebody – yeah, we don't really see you as a wide receiver. And then all of a sudden, at the end of a recruiting cycle, oh, lo and behold, you know, one wide receiver leaves or you swing and a miss here out of the transfer portal. And then you come back late as, oh, well, yeah, now, now we saw you as a defensive back, but we're cool with taking you as a wide receiver now. If you don't prioritize somebody in the fashion that they want to be positionally prioritized at, then probably it's going to be a hard win late, 
right? And I think that kind of all along, it just sounds like, John, that Oklahoma and Micah Tease were sort of on different sides of the recruiting equation all the way through. And so, yes, while it makes sense for so many reasons to say, okay, wow, uh, four-star blue chip kid, Booker T. Washington, Tulsa, Oklahoma, why wouldn't he be a Sooner? Well, they didn't really prioritize him the way that he felt he wanted to be prioritized along the way. So it makes sense that he'd be looking a different direction. Well, it reminds me of, of another Oklahoma wide receiver kid, right? A kid that Oklahoma really didn't prioritize um, and was seen as kind of like a, a second option, you know, backup option to Ashton Cozart. And that's Cole Adams. You know, they Oklahoma went after Cole Adams, but only after Ashton Cozart decommitted and then flipped to Oregon. Nobody wants to be like somebody's plan B. Like if you're dating, you don't want to, or you're going after a girl, you don't want to be her, her second option to go to the movies. Like you, you want to be priority number one. And I think that's true. Like, and I, and I get it. Micah Tease, you know, didn't feel like Oklahoma had an opportunity or was going to provide him the opportunity to play wide receiver under Lincoln Riley. That's a, another conversation for another day because it seems like they, they messed that up with DJ Graham as well. But you, you'd like to think that they could have come back and be like, Hey, that was the old guard. This is a whole new ball game. At the same time, you know, Kale Gundy was here through August and it didn't really seem to change the trajectory of that recruitment much. So I get why he's kind of written Oklahoma off as an opportunity, as an option. Well, and okay, you can say old staff, new staff, and that's definitely true. But look, uh, I, I would explain it like maybe this, right? If if you're trying to get a job in whatever industry, right? If the owner, if the owner of said job or business, if they kind of treated you like dirt in your mind, even once the new owner comes in, you don't have a lot of good feelings about the business, right? So probably even with the new owner now, Hey, new owner can come in, make a nice recruiting pitch to you. Nice, nice sales job to you that, look, hey, that was then and, and that was then and this is now and we're doing things different now. But on some level, you might still associate some kind of bad bad feelings toward, you know, said organization or business. And frankly, I think that's a lot of what we've seen here with Micah Tease's recruitment. I think so too. Uh, thoughts on Trace Ford? Um, that's been something that's come up a lot in the chat. Uh, it seems like he's decided his recruitment is over. He's going to be ready to make a decision. He's heard all he needed to hear. What do you think Oklahoma's going to stand on that guy? I hope they have a good chance, right? I mean, they, they need some legitimate uh, help up front. So I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, I would think that they have a good shot here. It sounded like building up to it, they have a good shot here. But, uh, I mean, where are you at with it? I don't have just some insider information one way or the other. But it sounded like Oklahoma – had a legitimate shot. Has that changed? Where are you at? I think they're still in it, but again, it's going to come down to, as many po folks have mentioned in the, in the chat, how much is NIL going to play a priority in his recruitment? A teammate of his just committed to USC from Oklahoma state in the transfer portal. So that could also play a factor on that front as well. Who knows, man. And, and then the Deshaun McCullough thing could have changed things for him too, you know, cause you look at your edge rotation, you got Ethan Downs, you got our Mason Thomas, and you got Deshaun McCullough coming in. 
maybe you don't feel like there's an opportunity for you or you feel like your, your chance to play is going to be a little bit more challenging. So maybe USC is going to be the, the, the final destination, which I feel like that just rubs the salt in the wound just a little bit more right that Oklahoma kids or guys that played at least a little bit of college football in Oklahoma are following Lincoln Riley to USC. I don't know. I should be over it by now, but it's still, it's still kind of a salt in the wound sort of a thing. Um, Josh, here's a really good question for you. We've talked about this a couple of times on the, on the show at times. If the young guys play lights out in the bowl game, will we be excited about the future or will we wonder why they didn't play more this year? Man, that uh, that's a really good question. And it's funny that it gets asked, right? Because you and I are sitting here reminding everyone and fighting that fight against really ourselves that, uh, you know, regardless of what happens to the bowl game, I'm, I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it again. I'm not falling into the trap of the Valero Alamo Bowl that, man, but did you see what happened? Did you see all those TFLs and pressures? I think that obviously you're going to be excited about the future, right? It's going to make you feel better if young players play well in this bowl game for 2023, because that's natural, right? If you see the production of a Reggie Grimes in the Alamo bowl, right? If you see stripling go out and play really, really well in the Alamo bowl, you're like, okay, man, we're going to be pretty good, but it's worth reminding ourselves that it's just a bowl game right? The regular season will have much greater importance to start 2023 than this Cheez-It Bowl. And probably there's a little bit of deflation on the side of Florida State. I mean, look, I get it. It's a, a power in Oklahoma, but for a Florida State team that's had a resurgent season, there have to be some guys in that locker room, John, that are a little bit, frankly, disappointed that they got Oklahoma in this uh, in this bowl process here. So all of that is to say, yeah, probably there will be some detractors out there that say, well, why the heck didn't we play the young guys more? Yes, but uh, it'll be more, I think, the excitement for, okay, there is production heading into next season, but guarded optimism, right? Guarded optimism. Yeah, I'll kind of feel the same way. I'll be more of the, why didn't we see these guys more? Especially if it's a guy like Jaron Kanak, or sorry, Kanak. I always want to say his name wrong. Jaron Kanick, who goes out and plays really, really well, because your linebackers played so many snaps this year. And it would have been really nice to have a fourth guy that you could have relied upon throughout the year, especially in like that West Virginia game where down the stretch, it just seemed like the guys were tired. You know, when you play 100 plays, eventually you're going to get wore out. Uh, and that's what, you know, sorry, I said Virginia Tech, West Virginia. Um, you're going to you're going to get worn down and that's what the offense is kind of banking on when they run the ball so many times. So that that'd be a, a place where I'd have a little bit of question um but yeah I'm I'm definitely going to be hedging more based on this bowl game performance. Either way, whether it's negative, whether it's positive, I'm not really going to like put a whole lot of stock in any anything of it because on on the negative side of things you're starting potentially, you know, three new guys along the offensive line. You don't have Eric Gray. Uh, you're starting several new guys on defense. It's it's like game one of next year, but they have less time to prep for it. Uh, so I, I feel, you know, 
the the line moving from seven and a half to eight and a half kind of gives me a little bit of pause as well. But I'm I'm of the mind that I'm not really going to put a whole lot of stock into this thing one way or the other because again, Jacob Sexton or or Jake Taylor at left tackle, Tyler Guyton at right tackle, going up against a guy like Jared Verse for Florida State, who's one of the better pass rushers in college football, probably going to be a top fifty pick in the NFL draft in twenty twenty three. That's a tough assignment when you haven't been getting regular snaps. That's a tough assignment when you've been, if you're Anton Harrison, that's a tough assignment. So that's going to be really disruptive to Oklahoma's you know, passing attack and even to the run game. So not having those guys is going to be, is going to be kind of huge. So I, I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into it one way or the other. I, I agree with 405 boy that Jerry Canick should have played more. Um, I think this is just one of those things where the coaching staff really, 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 really wants to trust who they put on the field. And they weren't a hundred percent certain that their younger guys knew what they were doing when they got out on the field. That's why it took CJ Colton so long to get playing time. Like he didn't get full-time playing time until like eight games into the season. He was getting a, you know, a snap here, a snap there, but he didn't really start until late in the season. That's because he didn't get to OU until summertime. So yeah, I think it's just one of those things like just it's going to take time. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's there's people talking in the chat about potentially flipping by Job. I haven't seen anything on that. Um, that's that's kind of crazy. If that were to come to be if if he's if the door is open for by Job again, by golly. I mean, Josh wrote a great piece when he was still working with us over at Sooners Wire before jumping to Hawkeyes Wire. On by Job, that was fantastic. I, I'll I'll try to find it and post it in the uh, the the um, the comments here and in, in, here in a section. But if you can get by Joe back here, man, that would be fantastic. Oh, it'd be huge! Be huge. He is. He's not played a lot of football by Job. He's obviously playing at a very small level in terms of the classification or has. Uh, at Community Christian in the state of Oklahoma. But, I mean, there's – and I say this in the most uh, endearing of way here about by Joe. The kid's a freak, right? I mean, athletically, he is a freak. He is set to add weight. I mean, just the explosion, the athleticism. He's still just learning. He's so raw in terms of understanding the game of football. So, if Oklahoma could could get by Job – in this class, it would be a legit five-star talent ad. I mean, this is somebody that we could be talking about, you know, 10 years down the line as potentially a Pro Bowl type if everything clicks and he keeps getting better and better and better. I think that's a possibility here. That's no guarantee, but uh, it would be a massive get. Now, in terms of where we stand right now, you know, there's – I'm looking at the crystal balls on 247 Sports for By Job as we speak. Everything is still painted Michigan State green. So take that for what it is. Not saying that it's an impossibility. Obviously, uh, you know, the family portion for By Job here to have his adoptive family right here in Norman, close by, that would work, you would think, in Oklahoma's favor. If not just right now for this week, John. I would think in a year's time, if things don't click exactly how you want it at Michigan State, if you start getting a little homesick, then that would potentially swing the door back open in Oklahoma's favor. But just wish him, just 
first and foremost, wish him the best because everything I've heard about by Joe is that he's an awesome kid. And obviously he's a superstar talent. Yeah. I mean, we might've just waited, wasted some time on, on by Joe because I was just searching um, for him on Twitter. And um, this is the graphic that I found. Let me see if I can pull it up real fast. It's going to, you know, just basically make this all a waste of time. So he had that posted on his Twitter account um, on the 14th. So obviously things could have changed in a week, but I don't think you post that if you're still open-minded to what you're going to do on the recruiting show. But hey, nothing's final until it's final, right? Nothing is done until you sign that NLI. And then it's only done for a year because you can always go into the transfer portal after that. Um, So yeah, it's... So somebody asked, is there a question about Dylan Gabriel actually coming back? And um, I no, I think Dylan Gabriel's back. I don't see any reason for him to rush off to the NFL. I don't see him. I mean, he might not even be draftable. I think he would get drafted maybe in the sixth, seventh round. But I, you see a lot of solid quarterbacks getting drafted. Um, so I, I don't see him going off to the NFL. I think he's back. Jackson Arnold talked about how I think he told it was Eli Letterman that he had told that um, it'd be really nice to be able to you know play with, Jack, with DG for one more year. So I think he's back. I'm looking and you tell me, John, if you put much stock, you, you're one of my uh, NFL guys out there, NFL mock draft, NFL mock draft database. You like this website? Are you familiar? Yeah, I've I've seen it. I've used okay, it. Okay, well, what time to time? <laughs> it's one of the first things that showed up in the old powerful Google, right? When you type in uh, trying to find out multiple uh, Oklahoma students and their draft potential here, he's projected as an undrafted free agent. So that sort of, to me, tells you everything you need to know about Dylan Gabriel. Yes, he's coming back. Uh, I don't think that he has a drafted option on the table right now. I think the grades that he would be getting back from teams are yeah we're not we're not drafting you right now so yeah i mean people people in the chat saying he won't get drafted you don't know what a team's going to do in the seventh round if they really like a player they're going to use that seventh round pick to make sure that that player doesn't get to undrafted free agency and then has his choice of where he wants to go so yeah i mean brock purdy got drafted he was mr irrelevant but he got drafted do we think that dylan gabriel is a better passer than brock purdy I do. Um, so if Brock Purdy can get drafted, Dylan Gabriel could get drafted again, seventh round. But can we tell Davis Bevel that football isn't for everybody? I'm sorry, that just made me laugh. Um, Be nice. We, we love Be you, Davis nice Bevel, but that was pretty. That was pretty funny. Um, yeah, it's you, you want Dylan Gabriel back. I think Jackson Arnold should be your backup quarterback next year if you don't get anybody else in the portal. Um, but yeah, you want Dylan Gabriel back to be the starter. Uh, if things don't go well, obviously you got a guy that you really love in Jackson Arnold that could take over and be your, your starting quarterback at some point. But I just don't think that'd be in 2023. Uh, on, on the quarterback talk, um, Nick Evers to Wisconsin. Josh, what did you think about that? I think it's a solid fit, right? Obviously trying to build something new there with Luke Fickle. And seems to, I mean, look, Wisconsin's a program that's won a lot of football games over the last quarter century they're sort of for me when I just think college football Wisconsin is kind of 
second tier, right down. Maybe you know, maybe there's that winning national championships tier, and then there's the one that's been knocking right on the door to get into maybe Wisconsin's one right behind that, right? So maybe third tier is probably the most appropriate. But bottom line is Wisconsin's won a ton of football games. So from that standpoint, just going to Wisconsin in general, I think uh, is good uh, because of Mertz leaving. I don't know the rest of their quarterback situation, what it looks like, but him being, you know, blue chipper that he is, I would imagine that he is – well, I've seen the reaction on social media. It's look, he's beloved right now going to Wisconsin and he should, right. He should have a chance to, you know, fight to be the quarterback of the future there. So seems to make sense um, for him. I don't know that he was John going to win the job in the future over a Jackson Arnold here. So, you know, from that standpoint, probably made sense to go somewhere like Wisconsin. Again, that has a nice little history of winning. And Oh, by the way, he kind of brings something to Wisconsin that they haven't really had a lot of, save for, you know, you got Russell Wilson as a a transfer and it was great from NC State, right? But generally speaking, Wisconsin is not a program we've been talking about that's been synonymous with just sensational quarterback play. Maybe he can be that for Wisconsin, a different breed, different blue chip caliber quarterback for them. So wish him the best, man. The Evers family was, was obviously really, really good. So hoping for his success. Yeah, I think it's a good fit. Luke Fickle did a really nice job with Desmond Ritter, made him an NFL quarterback. And I think the offensive line with Wisconsin, what we know about Wisconsin offensive lines is they're always really good. That's going to help Nick Evers be really, really good. I think um, just that dual threat ability will allow him the opportunity to play early, even if he's not necessarily a guy that um, is going to be putting up big passing numbers right away. He can still be an effective player. And in the Big Ten, you don't got to score 40 points a lot of times to win. If you can get to 25, 30, a lot of times that's good enough to win as long as your defense is, is pretty good. So uh, it's it's a good spot for him. Um, one thing I threw out on the timeline today, Josh, was just kind of players that you're excited to see play against Florida State. I, again, we talked about a little bit ago. There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of guys that are opting out Maybe not as many as last year, but there are quite a few. So it creates opportunity for somebody else. Who are somebody? Who are some of the few? Bleh, excuse me. Who are a few of the players that you feel like are going to step up and and shine, or who are the people that you hope will shine, or just the people you're excited to watch play? Okay, first and foremost, my connection is still good. I'm not bouncing around on you out there. I got you. Okay, we're good. I think Jake squared. I'm curious to see how that plays out for Oklahoma. That's Jacob Sexton. That's Jake Taylor. We assume are going to, you know, get plenty of snaps here. Savion Bird. So in any of those sorts of names up front, that's important for Oklahoma, how, how that's going to play out. I think uh, pretty intrigued there. And then uh, up front defensively, very intrigued how some of that plays out. Sawchuck. Yeah, we, uh, we should get some more extended looks at Gavin Sachuk. That's a good selection there. Uh, Javante Barnes, I, I think, you know, if we're talking running backs, to see him kind of get to be the man should be, should be pretty intriguing. And I think he's going to have a legitimate chance to do just that. So I'm probably looking, though, in the trenches both ways. Uh, so I'm curious what that's going to look like. Yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting to see is what happens along the interior defensive line with, with Jalen Renman gone, with Josh Ellison gone. 
Jeffrey Johnson, yeah, he's kind of one your one experienced player. Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly, you're going to rely on those guys. But we're going to get to see a lot of Grayson Halton, I feel like, and that's going to be a good thing. Start getting these young guys ready and, and just give them the game tape and give them the, the opportunity to, to make mistakes. Even if it doesn't go well, you can learn from your mistakes, but you got to be out there. You got to be playing, you know, solid reps against some of these guys, you know, power five opportunities. It's one thing playing against, you know, a Western Carolina or a Kent state or a UTEP, but getting to play against Florida state, that's going to give you very valuable information for, to go into the off season with what you got to do to get better, but you can't do it unless you get wraps wraps. I'm sorry. y'all. I've been fighting a cold for like, five six days now and it's still got me messed up um so yeah i'm saying wraps instead of reps but you know we're having a good time um yeah gavin sawchuk i i think we got to see i want to see 10 touches out of him at least because if you don't see 10 touches out of him what's the point of even dressing him like you want to give him an extended run three or four you know why uh flare outs you know just quick uh running back you know swing passes and then, you know, six, seven carries, something like that. Let him get his feet wet a little bit. Let him, let him just kind of start getting into the groove of being a full-time player um, at the running back position. Dare I even say this? Dare I even say this? Anybody still excited to see some Marcus Major run? He's not going to play. He's hurt. He's still, he's still in a boot. Okay, well, my apologies on that. Moving forward, maybe some Marcus Major on. Is he still in the mix at all for anybody in Oklahoma? I don't see why not. I mean, I'd still want to keep him as part of the rotation because aside from Javante Barnes, you don't really have anybody that, that's got power five carries to his ledger. So, you know, he might not be your, your starter next year. He might not be your backup next year, but you have a guy that's reliable, that's somewhat dependable, and we just lost Josh's video for a second. Now he's back. Um, you've got a guy that's got power five carries. And I mean, you might think he's done for, but I mean, we've seen careers like really blossom late in their time at a place. Like I'm not saying that he's going to come out and have a thousand yard season, but I still think he could be a productive part of the running back room. Like give him three, four carries a game. And I think he could be effective. Like I'm not just tossing that talent aside. I remember the guy that, had a you know 70 yard touchdown reception against Florida in the cotton bowl a couple years back, or a guy that just runs as physically as he runs, like don't cast him away. Don't, don't run him off just because you, you know, he hasn't been a super effective player. Um, yeah. Emeka might play in the bowl game. And, and I think that's going to be a, an option. That's going to be something that will potentially eat into Marcus majors opportunities next year. If he's still with the Sooners. I haven't heard any rumblings that he's not going to be coming off an in, an injury. I don't know what his market right now in the transfer portal would be like. So if he is a transfer guy, he might be one of those after spring ball transfer guys. Um, but I, I would like to keep him around because you can't have too many solid running backs. And I think he's a solid player. Is he a great player? He hasn't shown that. Is he a good player from time to time? He, he has some good snaps in him. So just don't just don't get rid of that just because he hasn't become a thousand yard rusher for you yet. Yeah, it's uh, you know thinking about that. This is kind of the reason I, I brought this up is you know whether he's healthy, whether he's not. There's a lot of 
other names in the mix, right? And you've got a Smothers and you've got a Hicks coming in. And oh, by the way, uh, you've got you've got a Mecca, you've got you know a lot of names that people want to see. Javante Barnes has shown us some things, right? Sachuk, you want to see more of that. So it kind of that, that's you know, not to pick on anybody, but it kind of feels like maybe that has finally sailed in Norman was sort of the reason uh, I brought that up. So be interesting to see some of those younger guys carry the football for Oklahoma. Really just, you know, when you ask that question, who do you want to see in this game? You know, anybody that's in, in underclassmen that right. Or first, second, third year player, like redshirt, sophomore, and the other direction that you think are going to be big pieces of the puzzle going forward. Anybody that fits that, that profile, that's who I want to see in this game. I want to see Stutzman be a star in this game. I know we've seen a lot of him, but to me, it's important that he looks like that in this game, right? So I think that's important. Canick, if you get to see uh, a little bit there, that'd be that'd be nice. Again, anybody that's young, it is going to be around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Robert Spears Jennings. That's that's a guy I want to see play a lot in this game because I feel like. And he's a guy I've talked to, we've talked about a lot because I feel like the, the short snap or the limited amount of snaps that he got, he flashed. So let's get a little bit more Robert Spears Jennings out there. Uh, any more questions y'all want to us to address before we get out of here? Because we're going to, you know, be, be shutting this down here shortly, but we definitely want to um, hit any other questions y'all might have. I, I do, I do still think that they need to probably address quarterback in the transfer portal. They might not. They might just feel comfortable with Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold, Davis Bevel, Micah Bowens, and go from there. But, yeah, I, I kind of want to think that they probably need to add somebody that's got a little bit better floor, that's got a few more snaps under his belt than a guy like Davis Bevel. Yeah, it, it'll be, uh, you know, obviously – Interesting to see just how quarterback unfolds for Oklahoma kind of going forward here. I, I'm gathering just from some of the conversation from Oklahoma fans that a lot of people feel like Jackson Arnold could be somebody that steps right in and presses Gabriel a little bit. Dare I say that there's some folks that wouldn't be that upset if Dylan Gabriel wasn't around this time uh, in a couple of months from now and this time next season. I personally think that, Dylan Gabriel kind of has gotten the short end of the stick here a little bit from Oklahoma fans this season. Look, has he been perfect? Did he miss uh, some key throws at times? Absolutely. Was he as accurate as other quarterbacks in recent sooner past? No. But uh, Oklahoma, to me, John, in the immediate future, is in a better situation if Dylan Gabriel's back next season. Uh, you know, buying one, one quick year for Arnold to learn a little bit. And uh, obviously, you know, his familiarity with uh, with Levy, I think, sets you up, you know, potentially for that breakout type season that everybody wants to see next year. But it's going to be interesting, right? It's going to be interesting to see sort of how this offseason shakes out with the quarterback position. Will, here's, here's a question for you to close or one of the final ones. Is Oklahoma just going to lock it up, throw away the key that Dylan Gabriel throughout this spring, yeah, he's our starting quarterback, or will they make it any sort of a – statement that eh, it, it's an open deal no i don't think they'll they'll have any faux quarterback competition they didn't have it last year and yes jackson arnold is a better player than anybody they've got on campus right now maybe even including dylan gabriel but they're gonna roll with dylan gabriel they've they're confident in dylan gabriel 
Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, believes in him. Even in some of his bad games, he still was very confident in what Dylan Gabriel brought to the table. So I, I think it's going to be Dylan Gabriel the whole way unless we see an injury setback that creates some cause for concern at the position. Uh, Denton Russell asks, any news on move to the SEC in 2024? Uh, not anything new in terms of the last little little bit here. I, I, I take that back. We, we probably could dive into some thoughts that Dennis Dodd tossed out there. That's probably something we should we should do this week. He maybe had a, a little bit new wrinkle to toss to the SEC 2024 conversation. Sort of a lot of the stuff that probably you've already known or thought out there that, you know, will ESPN be a driver to make this happen for Oklahoma, for Texas? I personally think absolutely this is going to get done. Absolutely. It's going to get done and it will not be when, when your Mark was sitting out there talking about Oklahoma and Texas have signed on, they, they've given us the, the full stamp of approval, two thumbs up. They're sticking around for the duration. I didn't believe it then, John, that it was going to happen that way. I thought that that pretty well did officially lock us into this coming year in terms of the Big 12 Conference for Oklahoma and Texas with the Big 12. But, man, I've never for one second thought that OU and Texas were not at some point in time going to be able to broker the negotiation to get out that one year one year early. Whatever that looks like, whatever the final picture is on that in terms of the, the ultimate buyout, it's going to get done, in my opinion. And now there's so much smoke out there that the talks have started heating back up and you got the Dennis Dodd report. It's going to happen. I don't know what that is going to look like. But to me, I'm going to be shocked if they play here in the Big 12 in 2024. Yeah, we're not going to be here beyond 2023. The fact that they're even talking about it means that there's enough mutual interest to make sure it gets done. And when there's mutual interest in getting a deal done, a deal will get done. Uh, it's just numbers. It's just, you know, contracts at that point. And I mean, we've talked about it on the show, like the big 12. Yes. They're financially motivated to keep Oklahoma and Texas around at the same time. Sometimes you just want to start new. You want to begin building your identity as a conference with what you got coming in. And yeah, does it suck for the Big 12 to lose Oklahoma and Texas? Absolutely. But you can move on. Here was the wrinkle, and I'm sorry, you know, doing doing this live. <laughs> Things I've read, I don't always remember, people, if I'm being totally transparent with you here. But Dennis Dodd, the, the report that he had to end last week was that, and many of you know this, but for those of you that maybe don't, the early exit for Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC how can they figure out the financials and make it work? Well, one of the ideas that's getting floated around is that basically Oklahoma and Texas would schedule non-conference dates against the Big 12 schools. So that is one potential workaround here to expedite the exit for both Oklahoma and Texas. Again, there's differences of opinion. I won't just read verbatim what he has in this story but there's basically people on one side that feel like, okay, it's, it's imminent and that's going to be a part of the exit strategy for Oklahoma and Texas. And it's going to happen. And then there's kind of the other camp that's like, yeah, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. But 
again, I just come back to the general thought here, John, I think for both of us, which is when you're seeing these, you know, this many stories like this get published, whatever the final picture looks like, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's an interesting wrinkle. And because of my cold, I haven't quite, I didn't quite see that one today. Um, so I'm going to have to dig deeper into that, but I, I, I see that as, yes, it's a, an interesting wrinkle that provides a strategy for everybody to be whole, to be happy and, and to exit on good terms. But I, I don't know. I, I don't see that one um, playing out. Uh, Jenna James asks the question, y'all think Anton will go in the first? Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, potential there. I've, I've seen mock drafts where he does go in the first. But I've seen a lot of mock drafts where he's in second and third. You know, the offensive tackle, it's a uh, a priority position. We talk about the money five in the NFL. That's the quarterback, the offensive tackle, the wide receiver, the cornerback, and then the pass rusher. Generally, that's an edge player. So the offensive tackle is going to get a draft stock bump just because of the position that they play. But will Anton Harrison be seen as a first-round pick? It's still up in the air. I, I think there's there's a lot of potential for him to – be more of a second, third rounder, which is not bad. Like being a top 100 pick in the NFL draft, that is good. Like, yes, it'd be great to be a first rounder, but still being a, a top 100 pick, that's pretty awesome. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh all over you. Very unprofessional there. I, I was laughing at Hank's comment okay. that in the article, uh, Oklahoma State's made it very clear. Ain't no way that uh, that's happening. Though it was floated in that article too, that uh, maybe this is a pathway to keeping the Bedlam game alive, which – we know how Oklahoma State, it seems, has felt about that, but that was at least mentioned. So I don't know if that's the the Oklahoma camp is just kind of tossing that out there like, hey, you said that with the schedules, there was no way to make this happen. Well, uh, looks like there's a way to continue this bedlam relationship. So, again, that's one of those that it doesn't seem like that's going to happen with Oklahoma and uh, Oklahoma State. But there is at least – that discussion is out there in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's out there. I don't, again, it'd be a weird thing. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to divorce, but we're going to get back together for like, I mean, that's basically saying I'll see you in a couple weeks kind of a thing. Like we're going to break up, but I'm going to see you in a couple weeks to exchange all the stuff that we had at each other's houses. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an odd dynamic, but the fact that it's lingered on and it will continue to linger on and through 2024, um, or through 2023 is still just weird, but it'll be done. 2023 will be the last season. Oklahoma plays in the big 12, whatever it looks like. Hey, don't be scared. You ain't scared of the big 12. Yeah. You're going to go play in the sec. It's fine. You schedule West Virginia and you schedule Baylor. Are they tough games? Sure. Absolutely. But they should be winnable games, right? If you're the university of Oklahoma, you should be not afraid of scheduling those two teams as non-conference opponent opponents. Um, yeah, one more thing, Josh. Yeah, I just want to, before we put a wrap on this Locked On Sooners Live, just want to say thanks, everybody, again, for coming, you know, to the chat. And you guys make this so fun for us and, and you know, make this possible uh, for us to do. And then just wanted to, again, wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays this week for those of you that are still hanging out live. Uh, appreciate all of you guys. Happy Holidays to you this holiday season. Yep. Very Merry Christmas to you all. Or as my two-year-old was saying all weekend uh, to my grandma, Merry Merry. Um, so hope you all have a great Merry Christmas. We're going to be continuing, you know, transfer portal, early signing period coverage throughout this week uh, as we, you know, 
Early signing period starts on Wednesday. So there's going to be a lot of really interesting things. I think most Oklahoma commits are going to sign. Probably all of them are going to sign. And then we might be in for a few surprises we don't know about just yet. But again, thank you so much for being a part of the show. We appreciate each and every one of you all uh, and for being uh, part of the chat. You guys make the chat so much fun. Um, you know, even those who aren't Oklahoma fans or subscribe to the show, be, be subscribed to the show. Make sure you tell your friends and your family to subscribe to the show as well. Um, that helps them hear about our show that helps the show grow more people find out about the show and so we appreciate you all so much for tuning in and stopping by but until next time we're going to continue to talk recruiting and transfer portal stuff he's josh helmer i'm john williams we'll catch you then boomer sooner